Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of You Hate to See It. I'm Adam. I'm Jeff. I'm Nick. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, you may have read one of his various encyclopedias, or pedia, however you want to pronounce it. I, I, I think, think we, it's I'll, pedia. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think anyone I, says ped. I, don't I think, think it's pedia. No. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but welcome Steve Rubin to the show. Guys. How are you, Steve? We need to get a clap track. We, we should. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. I, I, I'm kind of in between two worlds. We're doing a home remodel, so I'm out of my house for six months. And it's uh, it's kind of a little discombobulating or boobulating, since we're talking Bond. Um, it's, uh, it's crazy, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm working on a lot of things. I'll, I'll be happy to share anything and everything to, for you. Um, well, I mean, obviously the most important thing, uh, I saw an episode of how I met your mother where Ted Mosby says that it's encyclopedia. Is that correct? Or is it pedia? <laughs> uh, it's pedia. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> my whole life has changed now. Honestly, well, I think I that like was all we needed. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll see you guys later. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it's like um, when, uh, it's like when, um, Diane Keaton is walking down the street with Woody Allen in uh, Manhattan and she's referring to Van Gogh, Van Gogh. And Woody yeah. Allen looks at her like she's crazy. Uh, excuse me? It's Van Gogh. No, it's, anyway. It's kind of like, uh, I think our modern version of that is uh, Cool Whip from uh, Family I Guy. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Uh, love Family Guy. It's, uh, for my money, the funniest show on television. I love that show. So I, I do love it. <laughs> my fiance hates that I have to watch it whenever the new episode comes like, out. But it, like once a year, I'll like almost once every year, like I'll have, go through a period where like that'll just be on the background for everything I do. Like I'll just be watching through from the beginning, and if I'm not watching it, it's at least on. You got to like you. You. I like to save up those episodes to get like four or five, and then I just sit there drooling into my belly just watching family guy <laughs> oh i didn't like that description <laughs> i had to come up with something on the fly nick not everything can be funny <laughs> that think be nothing gross? is on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. does it have to be gross um so back to our guest uh, uh by, the way, by the way have you guys noticed that in modern language every sentence now begins with the word so so yeah <laughs> Yeah, yes um i i it pains me that i yeah i, cha yes, I, I challenge my wife some days i say can let's go a whole day without using the word so and it's impossible if it's i like, don't use so i use hmm or um so um um very I, i'm on the phone all day at work and the amount of times i use so is um not not good it's just <laughs> it's my thinking word it's just i if, it, if it's a long one it's because i have no idea what i'm doing so okay yeah it's like so it's it's the easiest transition word it's Just a great transition the... word uh i would love i would wish george carlin was alive because george carlin could probably do 20 minutes on so <laughs> well. he, did, he did 20 minutes on shit and that was you know that was pretty classic um, god i haven't watched george carlin in years i last time i saw george carlin was when i rewatched the bill and ted movies for the third one uh which are all great by the way um 
I'm now he's trying not to say so. You got him. You got him. You've literally ruined 80% of my language. You got him on the ropes. Put him down. I apologize because I think it's, I use it. Everybody uses it. It's there. Yeah. Go, go for it. No, now it's now I'm going to I'm not going to use it the rest of the episode. Um, <laughs> yes, because always such a better way to go. <laughs> you have. I just don't like starting sentences randomly. <laughs> it feels so abrupt. You have written uh, a few <laughs> a few James Bond. <laughs> well, I don't know why they're it's losing like, it's like. It's like you're reading a script and the teleprompter's going too slow. Or that he just completely forgot how to talk. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) I still want to use it. Just use it. You've broken broken him. Thank you. We've been trying for years. You've written uh, a few versions, a couple of the James Bond movie encyclopedias. What how do you make an encyclopedia and why did you choose James Bond? Actually, I've written four. Uh, I've written four okay. editions. First one was published in 1990. Uh, I've been writing about Bond since the 70s. My first book uh, was the James Bond films, a behind the scenes history. I used to be a staff writer for a Chicago film journal called Cine Fantastique. Huh? And they were like the first magazine in America to really go crazy for science fiction, fantasy, and horror movies. And I, I got out of college, a history major, uh, writing for my college paper. I was at UCLA looking for something to write. And um, I went through a few different things. I did a book on World War II combat films called Combat Films, American Realism, 1945 to 1970 which sold 400 copies. And I said, if this is the fate of the book business, I'm, I, I'll die because I got, I, my, my royalty statement was $28. So I was looking around for a subject and there were no books back in the seventies of note on the behind the scenes history of the James Bond movie. So I had just done all this research on World War II movies where I interviewed filmmakers, got the stories uh, on classic films like The Longest Day and Bridge on the River Kwai. Longest so Day is went... amazing. That's such a great, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I, I love that movie. Oh yeah. So I, I went to Albert R. Broccoli, uh, who was the then the only producer of the James Bond movies. Uh, Harry Saltzman, his partner, had gotten into some financial trouble, had to sell off his side. And I must've caught him on a good day. He, his name was, nickname was Cubby. Cubby really liked what I was doing historically because I was a trained historian from college. So I went over to London that summer and he introduced me to his stepson, Michael Wilson, who is now the, along with Barbara Broccoli. They make the Bond movies. And uh, I did that first book, uh, which did very well. It sold 50,000 copies in, the, uh, in two printings. And uh, I was very proud of that book. And then about, God, about 13 years later, I get a call from another Chicago publishing house, uh, Contemporary Books, um, and they asked me if I would consider doing an encyclopedia of James Bond movies. Now, the thing about Bond is it's all about stuff. It's about gadgets. It's about locations. It's about girls and nicknames and, and weapons and cars. So it's like perfect for an encyclopedia. 
And I, I, a lot of the information, the real detailed stuff, I couldn't put in the first book as I was more about behind the scenes. Um, so the encyclopedia was a lot of fun to do. The thing is, I would never have been able to do it unless there had been a computer involved because you have to organically put a, an encyclopedia together, coming up with information from all different quadrants and then inserting them in alphabetical order. If I had to do that manually, it would have taken literally forever and I would have stopped. Yeah. Um, so for each of your newer versions, um, how do you go back and like, do you filter through your old encyclopedias or do you just kind of go, okay, there's this hunk. Now I just have to fill in whatever's happened since then. Or do you try adding or subtracting or? Well, Adam, it's a real good question because first of all, this is a pretty hefty book. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's the first three editions were coffee table size. And I said to myself, why would anybody buy more than one edition, even if there were new films, et cetera. So for this latest edition, the fourth edition, I went nuts. I completely re-illustrated it. The latest edition of the James Bond movie encyclopedia, the cover of which is behind me, um, has over 400 photos and many in color. I also got uh, art from uh, Jeff Marshall. He, he let me use 20 of his paintings. He's one of the foremost artists of James Bond. Um, a fan art, you know, he's a fan. Um, I went through all of, the, um, all of the entries. Now, my publisher, interestingly enough, another Chicago influence, Chicago Review Press published this as they did my previous encyclopedia, the Twilight Zone encyclopedia, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, so they asked me to get rid of a lot of the minutiae, like license plate numbers and signs and stuff that went in the first encyclopedia and focus more on the backgrounds of all the performers. So there's more extensive biographies in the book of probably two or 300 people. Now, how long does like the making this take? Like just any of them, like what? Is it takes like about a year to, well, the first encyclopedia, I, I jumped right into it. It probably takes about a year to write. It takes another year to find the photos. Now, this encyclopedia, I, after having done this for 30 years, I knew a lot of the people who have photos, you know, the people who collect. If I had to go to United Artists and ask to buy one photo for the pick book, they would have charged me $400. So there was no way I was going to get any photos from the studio because I would have gone broke in three seconds. Yeah. Uh, with all my friends collecting, I found 400 photos and I didn't pay a dime for them. Uh, and uh, the reason I can do this, and it's an interesting legal thing, is it's called fair use. Uh, if I was just publishing a picture book with just pictures, I would have never been able to get away with it because they would have sued me for uh, infringement. But because I'm an historian writing about the history of a film genre, uh, I'm able to utilize still images to illustrate points. So is there, there's no licensing at all with the actual studios or the people who made James Bond? No, I have, uh, well, I remember earlier I was talking about meeting Cubby Broccoli and getting full yeah. carte blanche. Well, that, that relationship kind of went a little sour, not really my fault, but... It was one of those kind of uh, situations you don't like to see happen, but it happened. Um, I came back from London having done all of my interviews and I got some terrific interviews with some 
people very key involved in behind the scenes of the Bond movies. I, I, I spoke to Peter Hunt, the editor, Terrence Young, the director, um, a lot of the stuntmen, special effects men, art directors, Ken Adam. And I was so excited about my interviews, I showed them to Cubby when I got back, the transcripts. And he walked away from the project. He saw it was out of his control. Other people were kind of doing their own thing. And I didn't think it was a big deal then because I already had my research done. But then I got a letter stating that there would be no photographs from the United of the Bond movies. So here I was in the beginning of 1979. I had a book with no photos. Uh, Fred Clark, the editor of Cine Fantastic, heard about it. And uh, he put a full page ad in Cine Fantastic magazine with Cubby Broccoli in, in the gun site as if there, he was about to be shot. And the headline said, who is this producer and why do you want this book stop? I had no idea they were doing something like that. I bumped into Michael Wilson in the parking lot at MGM and he was furious. So what little relationship I had left with the Bond people completely ended that day. And that was uh, 43 years ago. Huh. God damn. Is there <laughs> any relations with like the book? Excuse me? Is there, is there any like relation with the, the book at all? Like Ian Fleming? Oh, the original author? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't deal with it because I'm it's only just, dealing just with the, the movies. Okay. Just the movies. Although I, I make references at times to some changes that were made from the book. Um, for instance, The Spy Who Loved Me, the third Roger Moore movie, uh, it was not based on Ian Fleming's book, only the title. They completely okay. came up with a new story, which in a sense is a remake of You Only Live Twice. Uh, okay. Instead of capturing spaceships in a giant intruder spaceship, they're capturing submarines inside a super tanker. It's just kind of the same story. Mm -hmm. uh, what is like your favorite James Bond movie? Having all this background information on them, like which one's the best? He just comes out well, and says he's never seen one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the first one I ever saw. I, I, in this Christmas 64... They were showing Goldfinger at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Now, I just read the paperback. The, the paperbacks that started to appear in the spring of 64 because it was announced that President Kennedy at that time was a fan of the James Bond series from Russia with Love was on his reading list. So that revelation led the sales of books to go skyrocketing. And I read Goldfinger. And then I, it was kind of a big deal for me. I was, let's see, I was 12 going to the movies that Christmas to see a movie I'd read the book of. I didn't, that did not happen very often. And uh, Goldfinger to me still plays today. It's, you know, it's from 64, but it could have been made yesterday. Although they could not do some of the things that they did in that movie. For instance, the, the lead bad girl, her name is Pussy Galore. I don't <laughs> think you could get away with that today. Probably not. Um, no. Someone would be upset. <laughs> Yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of women. There's an early scene where Bond is being massaged by this really bosomy blonde by the pool in uh, Florida, and Felix Leiter shows up and says, uh, I, "I thought I'd find you in good hands." And they have a repartee, and Bond says, "Bond, uh, Felix, uh, say hello to Dink. Hi, Dink, and Dink say hi to Felix." And then he says, "Dink, say goodbye to Felix." Man, talk, and then he gives her a slap on the bottom. Another thing that you cannot do. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I feel like I gotta ask. Who's your favorite Bond? 
Well, it's axiomatic that you love the bond you grew up with. So okay. for me, Sean Connery is bond. But I have to tell you, when Daniel Craig came aboard in 2006 in Casino Royale, mm -hmm. my jaw dropped. I just could not believe how good he was as Bond. And he's never let us down in the five films he's done. I think I only watched the first two, first two or three. Okay, so who in this room has watched the latest No Time to Die? I have. I have not. Okay, I... Adam has seen it. So uh, no spoilers, because there are people out there. Yeah, people over 40, by the way, still aren't going to the movies. So a lot of people didn't see it. Yeah. Um, I did not like it. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. It's just, I, they're, they're just so long. <laughs> That's my, like, I can, like, it, it's like, so I love Casino Royale. Um, and uh, on quantum of solace and i'm uh i'm okay with um skyfall skyfall i I'm didn't okay. see skyfall so i saw the first two i'm okay with skyfall i don't like uh specter i don't like no time to die um and it's really more for me the slowness that james bond is they're kind they're not like the action-packed movies that we see nowadays it's not so, mission impossible yeah it's not mission impossible so um well the so movie, like, movies movies in general these days are way too long it's like a cardinal yeah, rule that yeah. you have to have a two and a half hour running time for an action movie that's ridiculous and i agree with you i thought no time to die was very long um you know um daniel is terrific oh I, I love think, him he's yeah great. and i think that he's revitalized the bond movies for a new generation when it came to the early 2000s the spectacular megalomaniac taking over the world kind of bond movie was considered a little passe by then with international terrorism becoming the thing that everybody's aware of so if you think about it most of the Bond movies now are about international terrorism, mm -hmm. you know, and then these terrorists are all over the place and Bond is going after them. And um, so he was the right guy. You can't, you know, the kind of witty uh, kind of funny lines that were pro prominent with Roger Moore, with Pierce Brosnan. You couldn't do those today. You get laughed off the screen. They want uh, audiences want a toughness and a grittiness to Bond. And it corresponds with the other series that have been competitive. Like you say, Mission Impossible, the Bourne series, even the Kingsman series, some of the things they do steals a little page from Bond. I was gonna say, I was actually gonna ask about that. I was like, do you think the Kingsman was like a weird shot at, not shot, but like make off of Bond? like parody slash spiritual yeah. successor? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, absolutely. And they did it so cleverly. Uh, I, I love them. I, yeah. The newest one is like, the eh, I, yeah, I, I still I, like, I liked it. I liked I like it. The it was different it. though. I don't like the Golden Circle, but but yeah, I think those like these slower movies work great in the older Bonds films. Like they're ninety minutes long, and you can be slow. But when I have to sit down for two hours forty five minutes to watch, really nothing happen. I can't like like the la like between Spectre and No Time to Die. I was just like God. Like if they could have cut an hour out of this, I probably would have enjoyed this more. <laughs> Adam, did you see No Time to Die on the big screen or at home? At home. 
Okay, you probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more at home. I have this theory about watching movies for the first time on the home screen. It gets a little too comfortable on the couch and yeah. you start to fall back and your, your pulse lowers. I think that when you're in a theater and people are reacting, it's a little bit different. I, I agree. Uh, I work in film and I'm all about like, go see movies in theaters. Like, I love it. And I always, whenever like the new superhero movie or the new blockbuster or whatever, I always try and get like the really expensive tickets for the big surround sound, the seats shake. Like I like to do the whole shebang when I, and make it an experience, but yeah. We're hearing good things about Top Gun. Have you guys seen it? Oh, it's, I haven't yet. I was thinking about going tomorrow and seeing it. It's got to be the best movie I've seen in theaters it's... since like Endgame. Yeah, like, like that. Yeah, I I'm like the Marvel guy, and I sit here and I'm like, like literally, I've seen Spider Man, No Way Home. I've seen whatever else, Doctor Strange. I've like I've seen these big Marvel movies, and I still will say. Top, Top Gun, Gun Maverick is most of the those greatest the movie I yeah. have seen this year, hands <laughs> yeah. down. Like it's, oh. and I so like my fiance and I went to see Doctor Strange, and uh, one of the previews before the movie was the first like three and a half minutes, or like was three and a half minutes of Top Gun Maverick, and we're watching it, and I keep nudging her, and I'm like this looks fucking awesome like this is and she's kind of like ah, eh, like whatever and i'm like here and we got home and top gun was on netflix so i was like okay and so like i don't know like a week later like we've been like okay we're gonna sit down we're gonna watch top gun so that way she gets it and i told her I'm like i'm going to see it whether i see it with you or without you i'm seeing it she's like okay fine so we went and watched top gun on netflix we get through it and she was like she we got done she's like okay now now let's watch the second one and i was like that's in theaters like she (laughs) she got top gun and mission impossible confused thinking that (laughs) 15 of them between the newest one coming out i was like no it's in theaters in a week she's like oh okay so then we went and saw it in theaters and she loved both movies and which was wild to me because i didn't see that coming but i don't i'm I'm gonna go see it tomorrow i just looked up times think i've <laughs> sat on my seat during a movie like that ever in my life i well, Nick, like if you want to yeah. see it again i'm seeing it tomorrow so i'm you know <laughs> but i i have plans but thank you maybe um unacceptable yeah that's fine but yeah no that was like and i was saw with a group of friends and like it, it was like we were in a roller coaster we were all leaning forward at the same time and then leaning back like oh my god and then leaning forward again it, it oh I guess it, the movie has given the movie business a big shot in the arm because as you guys know nobody was going to the movies much and they obviously the marvel movies were attracting but there just was not a lot of business across the board. Now people who don't go to the movies are going back to the movies and there'll be more of it that this weekend because they're releasing the new Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't love it. Well, we, could... <laughs> we had an older couple sitting next to us in the theaters and we walked, we, we're sitting down and this uh, old lady and her husband 
come up to us and she's like hey just let me know if we get too rowdy for you and i was like we like my fiance and i laughed and we're like oh no problem she's like this is our first time seeing a movie since 2019 or whatever and i was like oh cool like some chit chat and then the movie starts and it was so much i enjoyed listening to her husband like making noises and like freaking out over things on the screen <laughs> and he's like nudging his wife being like oh like this is from the first movie and like and i was like that was just fun to there's just experience you know, there's something that. about going to the movies that just never gets old it's a communal like, thing like, yeah, yeah it's, i mean it's... you can't duplicate that on the home screen i mean especially with comedy of course comedies have disappeared from movies altogether oh, occasionally yeah which is frustrating because I'm also in the business writing comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been writing a lot of spec features of late and uh, getting people to read comedy is very challenging. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, I, don't, I don't think I've seen a good comedy in theaters in a very, very long time. I, I feel like you, The Kingsman was the last one I saw I'll in theaters. You, I don't think a comedy would drive me. I, I don't like, I just don't like going out. I don't think a comedy would drive me to the theaters. Like, yeah, I, it doesn't so it's like, have to be the right actor. Yeah. Well, also right. you get like Adam Sandler just releases stuff like straight to like Netflix. Netflix yeah. The, like, the only, I feel like comedies just don't come out in theaters. The anymore. only thing I feel like they go straight really... to a streaming service. No, you're no. absolutely right. Well, first of all, I actually had personal experience with uh, with this. Um, I sent one of our comedies over to Paramount, the home of Top Gun, of course. And the executive read it and loved it. He said, this is a terrific movie for Netflix. And I said, why isn't it a terrific movie for Paramount? He said, well, we just don't make anything unless it's a sequel, a prequel, uh, a remake. Everything has to be branded. So comedies don't necessarily filter into that equation because generally they're not branded. They're concept driven. I mean, if Back to the Future was being shopped today, they, you know, they might say, well, this is not a brand. They have to take a chance on it. Of course, yeah. Back to the Future, for me, is one of the great movies of all time. The, the thing is, like, like, Top Gun, that was one of those movies that I knew, like, you just had to see in the theater, just, like, surround sound and, like, just the size of the screen and everything. I just don't feel like a, a comedy what like drives you for any of that yeah you know? like i don't think something like um happy gilmore or caddyshack would pull me to a theater the same way you're probably right you're probably right i think that times have changed people mm -hmm. people just aren't they're going to the be they're going to the movies with all the rigmarole of either getting the babysitter or the parking and the popcorn and all the other things they want big screen entertainment. They want big effects. They want big, big stuff. Well, and I think you said earlier too, of like when you're sitting at home, you get comfortable, you lean back. And I'm like, when I watch a comedy- But you can also just get up and walk I'm, away. Well, like when I'm watching a comedy, I'm going to be comfortable. Like I'm like, like just internally, I'm going to become comfortable, like to laugh and to enjoy that and just to relax. The ones when I go to a movie theater, I'm looking for that intensity and that excitement and that like having that experience with people. And for me, like I can sit there and laugh at something just as easily at home as I can. In I I think the only comedies anymore that pull you to theaters are like comedies that aren't like purely just straight comedies. So like things like Deadpool, 
So mm-hmm. like it has to be like a comedy with like action or something like something else that dre- like because people want to see Deadpool, and like yes, is he known for being like comedic? Yeah, but like people want to go see Deadpool more than like oh, I just want the comedy. Like if Deadpool didn't have any of the action, I think people would still go just because it's Deadpool. Sure. I, sure. I think the one thing that like. Like, like Adam's point being comfortable. The thing is, like, I, I went to a, a drive-in theater recently to see Doctor Strange. And, like, that is just a completely different experience that I wasn't... I, I, that was the first time. And it was just being able... It, it was comfortable. I was able to talk to my girlfriend while we were, like, as things came up. I was able to laugh. I was able to go out are, to the are bathroom. You, are you listening to the movie through your car speakers? Is that the yes. way it works? Yeah. Okay, so you're getting stereo, so you don't listen to that little squeaky thing that used to hang on a hook. Uh, no, <laughs> I know some of them still have them you, there. Yeah. They're, more, they're yeah. more of like parking indicators, like to space yeah. cars more than they are to like be used. But no, we, we listen. So we parked on the edge of the screen and like it was a double feature. So after the first movie, after the after we saw Doctor Strange, the second movie was Uncharted. We'd already seen Uncharted, but like we paid for the double feature. We're gonna see the double feature, um, and we were able to change the channel to the movie that was on the next screen, and we could kind of see it. And we watched like that for twenty minutes, and it it was, it was it was interesting. Like it, it depends on your car. Like if you're if you have a car with Bose speakers, you're getting a fantastic experience. Well, certainly these days with epic movies, sound is such a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, still not going to use the word so, um, but... You just used the word so. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, you broke him again. <laughs> so, damn it! Damn it Jeff, you got to take it! Um, hey, we, I, I'm going to give Adam a break here. We, we now have uh, changed... The moratorium off is off. So away. I'm, ref- I'm still refusing. Um, well... Uh, <laughs> just sort of sentence my guy well you've also done an encyclopedia on the twilight zone so how is doing that different and how is it the same from doing the james bond one well um <clears throat> see now i got him doing well <laughs> i've brought in well well, the Twilight Zone was a little bit different because um, I had to kind of start from scratch, whereas I'd done previous James Bond editions before the Bond Encyclopedia, I had to literally sit down with a legal pad and I watched, excuse me, there's a siren driving by. Um, I had to watch all 156 episodes in a row. Oh. And uh you know, with the Bond Encyclopedia, I covered each movie, all 27 movies. Uh, with with Twilight Zone, I had to get information on 156 episodes. So it was very challenging. Uh, I developed a relationship with Rod Serling's widow, Carol Serling, and she gave me the photographs. So once again, uh, the photos came to the rescue. And she also opened up her legal files so that I could tell you how much people actually made back in the day. So that was kind of cool. There had been one key book, uh, there have been several done, but the one key book that was published back in the 80s was called The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Secree, which was a very good book, but it didn't go heavily into the backgrounds of all the performers. And once again, I really wanted 
to learn about these wonderful actors who were in classic Twilight Zone episodes who are kind of not well known today. I mean, if I said Burgess Meredith, you know, most people under 40 would say, who? You know, was that, isn't that the guy who was the manager of Rocky? You know, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, Mickey. But these guys like Jack Klugman and um, Art Carney, you know, th there's so many interesting people in the Bond series over the years and, excuse me, in the Twilight Zone series over the years. And I, I just love telling you a little bit more about each of them. Do you guys have questions about Twilight uh, Zone? I mean, I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> no. I'm eventually. All right, fine. I'll I'll ask the big one. Yeah. Uh, helicopter guy, helicopter crash. That's always the, I feel like one of the most important things that comes up in Twilight today is the um, helicopter crash here in the movie. I think well, that, that was, was a, that was a, I'm sorry. Was that the movie or the show? No, that was the movie. The movie. show, the original Twilight Zone ran from 1959 to 1964. Um, the movie came out, I believe in 82. Okay. So it was many years later. And for the people listening or watching, it was a terrible tragedy uh, during the production of the Twilight Zone movie in the episode directed by John Landis set in Vietnam, uh, a helicopter crashed on top of the three actors playing their characters, two young children who should not have been on the set at three o'clock in the morning. And the actor Vic Morrow, one of my all time favorite actors, because he starred in a series back in the 60s called Combat. Uh, they were all killed. Uh, so that was a horrible tragedy. Thank you for bringing that up, Nick. You're welcome. I, I'm here to bring everyone down. <laughs> that is my sole purpose is to bring the entire mood down. <laughs> um, uh, the, um, the, the television series, by the way, um, was the product of a guy named Rod Serling. And Rod Serling was a very unique writer. He had been a World War II veteran, a paratrooper in the Philippines, saw horrors and got out of the war quite traumatized and had to channel himself into doing something. Otherwise, that PTSD would have been lurking constantly. So he began writing for radio and then live television and made his bones on in New York. And then he just couldn't tell his morality plays uh, because the sponsors were running the show and they didn't want to hear about racism or anti-Semitism or violence. They wanted to sell soap. So he came up with this brilliant idea of doing his morality plays in the science fiction, fantasy and horror genre. So he could tell it because one of like, for instance, one of the great episodes of the Twilight Zone is called Eye of the Beholder. And that's an episode where you see a lady with bandages on her head and these these medical people lurking about and she's having her bandages off today. Supposedly in this society, if you don't conform, you have to have plastic surgery and the bandages come off and you see that she's the most gorgeous blonde you've ever seen, played by um, the lady who played uh, Ellie May in the Beverly Hillbillies, Donna <laughs> Douglas. And uh, the, the medical personnel are saying, oh, no, it didn't work. It didn't work. And then they turn around and the medical personnel and they all have pig faces. That's called Eye of the Beholder. That was, um, that was Serling's um, way of talking about racism in modern society. If he had told it as a regular story, they wouldn't have bought that.
but since it was a science fiction, they were able to do that. And he did, he did that quite a bit. He was the first um, television writer to write about the Holocaust, about Vietnam, about child molestation. These are really tough topics for 19, late 1950s and 19, early 60s uh, uh, television. Yeah, that kind of, that reminds me of like when we talked, uh, well, my, oh my goodness, when we were talking about uh, The Last House on the Left. Mark Scheffler. Like, yeah, when I first like watched that movie, like nowadays, I was like, oh, this isn't like a great horror movie. But then like when you think about like back then, like that was probably a trendsetter for like talking about like, you know, sexual abuse and stuff like that, which is like a very real like horror like but i don't know yeah, like, just... i didn't find that movie scary but my fiance did and that's kind of the yeah. point of it is like that hits her where she something that she can understand and relate to where i have no relation to that because i'm not a female <laughs> yeah like um so then you've also worked on some uh some uh documentaries and stuff how is doing an encyclopedia different than making some video documentaries well it's interesting a lot of the stuff gets tied in with my research for instance when i was writing combat films uh i i one of the movies i wrote about was called hell to eternity and hell to eternity was released in 1960 it starred jeffrey hunter who was captain pike in the first uh incarnation of star trek and um, he played a character named Guy Gabaldon. Now, Guy Gabaldon was an East L.A. kid who was semi-raised by Japanese Americans. And when after Pearl Harbor was attacked, all the Japanese Americans on the West Coast were forced into internment camps. Guy, being a Caucasian, joins the Marines, goes to Saipan in the Mariana Islands and single-handedly captures 1,100 Japanese, 800 in one day. He became known as the Pied Piper of Saipan. Um, in reality, six foot one inch Caucasian Jeffrey Hunter was not Guy Gabaldon. Guy Gabaldon was about five foot four and Hispanic. So when I discovered that, I said, this is a great idea for a documentary. And I met Guy Gabaldon. He was alive and he was the executive producer of my doc. It's called East LA Marine, the untold true story of Guy Gabaldon. So that was kind of an outgrowth of, of doing some original film research. And then my other documentary, I've done uh, two on The Great Escape, uh, the Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough, World War II movie. And the latest one is called The Coolest Guy Movie Ever. And that's about, um, I, I hooked up with a French filmmaker who took a camera crew to all the locations where they made The Great Escape back in 63 or 62. So that's fun. But I'm also out there every day trying to sell films and TV shows. Like I said, I'm writing a lot of comedy, uh, just trying to um, make, make my bones as a writer producer. I've produced five films, including the three documentaries. I did Bleacher Bums uh, for Showtime. I did um, Silent Night for Hallmark Channel with Linda Hamilton from the original Terminator. Yeah, I think my girlfriend made me watch Silent Night. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think I might have actually seen that one. 
Yeah, that's a true story about a, a, a truce in the Ardennes on Christmas Eve 44, where German and American combat troops actually sat across from each other at a Christmas Eve table while a German woman told them to keep their guns outside and they broke bread. They were friendly and left as friends in the morning. True story. Hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you make the transition from being a historian into now writing and directing and producing for well there was a big there was a big transition because as a historian i wasn't making any serious money at all Mm -hmm. so i had to have some kind of job and early on i became a publicist Uh, i was hired in 1978 uh, by united artists to go on the road to science fiction conventions to promote the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was with Leonard Nimoy and Donald Sutherland. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about 10 months and then I got hired in a PR agency and I started to understand how PR was done. And then I became what in industry parlance is known as a unit publicist. So I was actually assigned to a film crew as their PR, PR liaison. It was a, a union job. I would work three months at a time. And interestingly, I would always be assigned to the lousy sequel to a good movie. So I worked on um, Porky's 2. Ooh. I worked on Weekend at Bernie's 2. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> I worked on Eddie and the Cruisers 2. And then I also worked on Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which oh. is the sequel oh. to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was, yeah. that, actually, it was a pretty fun movie. That's... I personally like honey i blew up the kid more than honey i shrunk the kid. oh well that's nice to hear yeah i'm i don't know if i'm the only one that does but i, I loved it i think that was the first one i saw in the franchise was blew well here's up something the kid. funny they have a meeting of all the department heads as we go over the script and all the production details so i'm in a i'm in in a room with like 40 people around a giant square desk a square table and there's a scene in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid where Wayne Zielinski's got to find his, his shrink machine to shrink his son. So he goes into a warehouse, this giant warehouse with 12 billion crates. So I whispered to the guy next to me, I said, wouldn't it be funny if he found the lost Ark of the Covenant at the same facility? <laughs> so it, it was whispered around the table and the producer actually looked at me and says, that's not a bad idea. And it's actually, not only is it in the film, but Variety, when they reviewed the movie, they mentioned that. <laughs> wow. I'm, all, I'm always thinking, guys. Always yeah. Thinking. <laughs> yeah, I love that film. Um, <clears throat> I like, my favorite part of the film is just seeing the people in the pocket, like in the little kid's pocket, like walk while it's <laughs> walking around, tearing stuff down, and there's just people sitting there, like. <laughs> oh. I think he takes, what does he take out a, 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 a malted milk ball the size of a bowling ball? And <laughs> they're just ch- chugging that down. It was fun. It was fun. We shot that in Las Vegas for three weeks and then uh, in LA. It was one of, I just loved the whole filmmaking process. And then I went to Showtime in 92 and I became more of an executive there and got the idea of producing. And I made my producing debut uh in uh uh, nine uh, excuse me 2001 on a baseball comedy called bleacher bums all about the cubs fans but unfortunately because there's gambling in the play 
Major League Baseball would not uh, cooperate with us. So I had to change the name of the team to Chicago would, Bruins. Would that be different now? Well, you know, it's like gambling is like more accepted everywhere. now. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. They, they had just had a bad experience when our films was in prep. They had done the fan with Robert De Niro, which took advantage of the San Francisco Giants. It's like a, it was a creepy movie. And I think they had a bad experience with that. So we paid the penalty. Yeah. That's... But we had a good cast. We had, um, we had Peter Riegert from Animal House. We had Wayne Knight from Seinfeld. We had Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, we had uh, Charlie Durning from the Tootsie movie. Um, we had a good cast. It was fun. Out of all of the actors that you've been able to meet, who blew away your expectations the most? Really good question. Really good question. Um, I tend I tend to like the character actor types, you know, the ones who are, you know, the, the kind of the background players at times. Um, I'm actually, I'm in, I'm, next week I'm going to be, I have a podcast that's called Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. Next week I'm interviewing an actress I've worked with three times and she's wonderful. Her name is Jo Beth Williams and she was the mother in the original Poltergeist and we're talking about the 40th anniversary of Poltergeist. I thought Jo Beth was great. Uh, I, I've worked with John Voight. John Voight, also a terrific actor. Um, I actually worked with Tom Cruise. Uh, he, he actually directed a one-hour drama for uh, Showtime in our Fallen Angels series. So I got time to spend with Tom Cruise. Very nice guy. Very, uh, very uh, personable. Um, I've worked with so many different people. Um, hard question to answer. Yeah. Well, I've I've heard like once you take away Scientology from Tom Cruise, he is like one of the most genuine and amazing human beings like on this planet. My favorite well, part, you know, you, you, you can attack his religion all you want, but he consistently brings entertaining movies yeah. to the screen. All and, and and often doesn't get the credit. You know, you know, I've seen Rain Man many times, and certainly Dustin Hoffman is great in Rain Man. But Tom Cruise is also terrific in Rain Man. And um, what are your thoughts on him being like today's last like actual huge movie star? Like him, his presence alone will bring in the crowd. We don't make movie stars anymore for the most part. I mean, those of us who've studied film over the years, the studios in their heyday would actually have like a method of creating movie stars. We kind of create them by accident. You know, we, we take a wrestler named The Rock and all of a sudden we give him some great film roles and he's a movie star. You know, same with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, the fact is that, you know, it's hard to create somebody who's bigger than life like they had in, you know, the old days. Mm -hmm. I would say The Rock is a movie star today. I would say Tom Cruise is, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Um, but there's a very small group and we're not, we're not creating more all the time. That's a little frustration for me as a producer, because when you put a package of films together to try to, to get them financed, they're always asking, well, who's in the movie, who's in the movie, who's in the movie. Well, the number of actors who mean anything in the marketplace hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. It's not like there's 600 new actors to choose from 
who have name value. There's 40 guys who are, that made sense in 86, and there are 40 guys that probably make sense today. See, I, I think another huge factor with that is, is like with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like you get these big, like people who end up becoming these big names, but they're only in that cinematic universe until their contract runs out and like, or they get killed off or whatever. And then it's like, I feel like after that, people don't really go to the movies that they're in after that, or they just don't do movies because they're going to make enough through like three lifetimes off of the movies they were in. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, you wonder, uh, for instance, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, obviously, when he's Iron Man, he's a movie star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if he's in another movie that isn't a Marvel movie, is anybody going to care? It's kind of a lot. Dr. Doolittle makes me think of that all the time. Horribly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris Evans in uh, Knives Out was amazing. So, like, it it just depends. That was a that was a star. Yeah, but like, if you yeah, also like. Would just him being in that made you go to the theater to see it though? No, I went. I went yeah. for um. Oh God, uh, Bond. Uh, oh, Daniel God. Craig. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Thank you. I'm. It's literally are, his. It's I know. Biggest. I know. <laughs> I know. The names are escaping me right now. No, I, I I saw that movie for Daniel Craig, not for Chris Evans. I I could see it working for like Tom Holland because like he was just in Uncharted, and I feel like a lot of people went to that because like. Well, one, it's a video game series yeah, that a lot of people love. I didn't go see Uncharted. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. The so thing good. is that, um, what was I going to say? Basically, I think people go to the movies based on the concept of the movie more than ever. You know, if yeah. you hear it's this, this, and this. For instance, a couple years ago, they had that movie yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw it. Oh, love that movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, I heard the concept that only this one guy knows about the Beatles now. I thought that was brilliant. And and that was kind of like a Twilight Zone episode in a way, because that's something that Rod Serling would have come up with. But yeah, I mean, that was concept-driven. Most of the time, when I hear about a movie, the idea sounds really terrific, and I want to go see it. Or you hear a little bit of patter about uh, the performances. There's a lot of buzz right now in Hollywood about this new Elvis movie coming out. Mm-hmm. I hear it's going to be terrific. Tom, Tom uh, Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker. And the guy who plays uh, Elvis is supposed to be amazing. Um, uh, I think like, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> like what you said is right. Like I think it's more concept driven because uh, – there's a movie that I want to come out that Adam like showed us something about, like, I feel like it was years ago at this point, but it's the James McAvoy movie where like, he doesn't know the script oh, yeah. or whatever. Have you like, heard he about this? It's, oh, I, I don't remember what the name of it is. Um, but so basically James McAvoy gets like a very basic understanding of the scene. Um, uh, like, he doesn't really know he doesn't know the plot of the movie he doesn't know what's supposed to happen he just kind of gets the the bare minimum of what information he needs to do the scene and the rest of the cast has scripts and they go and they'll perform and it's basically like james mcavoy improvising his way through the through the movie and I think it's like I think it's supposed to be like a dad chasing after his daughter his, or something. Yeah, like trying like, to find his kid or but something. Like, James McAvoy didn't know that his daughter had been kidnapped. 
until like the character found out in the movie like and like it's such like a weird concept of like you have this great actor who has no idea what the movie's even about while he's filming it like (laughs) because like with that like i I like i think everyone loves loves james mcavoy after split but like then you get the idea of that and like that makes me want to go see it in theaters like that idea like i want to go see that movie i think i think we definitely saw it right we saw the trailer right at the start of covid so that movie's probably come and gone on streaming and we would have never known about Mm -hmm. it i'm looking i'm looking him up right now to see yeah, I'm looking through like the movies that he's been in recently. I wonder if it's called The Bubble. Is that it? Is it, yeah, is it My Son? No, it's not The Bubble. It might the be bu- My Son. Uh, it might I'm be, looking it's at that. Definitely right now. not The Bubble because. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's My Son. Yeah. It's uh, Driving in the Heart of the Highlands. Um, he receives a call. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's called My Son. It's like a year old now. So It's I'll already out. Know. Yeah. have to catch that on. on uh, released March 10th, 2022 in Germany. Well, yeah, it was a uh, the director. It was a remake of his own film, which was uh, a French only, film. Uh, it's only on Peacock. Damn, I Adam, have Peacock. Adam, are you writing screenplays yourself? Are you involved? I'm. I so I'm. I'm trying. Um, I started. Uh, I went to college for broadcasting and journalism because I didn't have the grades for film school. Um. So I kind of made my own film school out of doing broadcast and journalism with a minor in theater. So I got the parts to do a film school, just not in a coherent film aspect. Um, But one of my teachers worked in film. And so we did a private study every semester where he basically just taught me the extra stuff that I wouldn't get from the college of uh, screenwriting and stuff like that and a little bit of directing and producing and things and I I really fell in love with screenwriting it just is time and right now that's something I don't have a whole lot of between the podcast and I work three jobs and um but yeah I I started in college I started doing um uh like taking short stories and turning them into short films and then getting prompts and writing scripts based off of that. And I have some fun little short, short films that I have written that I would love to make at some point, but I just can't. Um, I wrote and directed a short film in college. um, And then the guy who was supposed to edit it turned, gave me a first draft. And then I was like, okay, I'm, told him my tweaks and stuff and sent sent it all back to him and he said yeah i'll get right on this and then the semester ended and then he graduated and then i graduated (laughs) and i've still never received that um and i don't have the footage of that either because he has all the footage because we gave it to him and we were in college so why would i keep an extra copy on my computer where space is (laughs) needed for other crap from college Sounds like sounds like the basis for a good revenge movie. Yes. Um, but then I, I get ideas and I, I have a notebook that I write all my ideas in. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I do outlines a lot. I've been just for fun to, when I have free time and nothing else to work on, I've been adapting the Harry Potter books into like a Netflix TV show just to, do something when i'm bored and want to write 
um, if I don't have any ideas or drive to write my own original stuff. But I've, I have a movie that I'm still in the outlining process because I need to fix. I don't even know how to start it. I just have the idea of it's called Cicada and it's a horror movie that's kind of a mashup between like um, Friday the 13th and Zodiac. Um, where every 14 years, this killer comes out and does these huge, massive Friday the 13th style murders and is only around for a week and then goes away because he uses the sound of cicadas to hide the sound of his murders. And then the cops have to spend 14 years trying to find this guy and then, then he comes out again and kills, and they're like, well, we still can't find him, but here he kinda, is back again. Reminds me a little bit of It. Yeah, yes. Yeah, sim- very similar um, to It. Or, uh, it reminds me of, like, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. A um, lot. Je- Jeff and um, Nick, are you guys both involved in filming anyway? <laughs> no. <laughs> they have law no, degrees. No, we are. No, we, yeah, no, we, we are the We wanted ones. to be cops. Yeah, and, and then everything happened. The podcast. <laughs> yeah, and then and then everything happened in the world, and I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, and here Nick, I am. <laughs> Nick was Nick was. Were you an actual officer or no? You just an internship thing? I no, I it was just an internship. I I'm still not ruling it out. Like you know, but just... Nick was interning with the state police when people started hitting cops with their cars on the side of highways yeah. for fun uh i um, was i while i was on my internship for five months six illinois state troopers got killed uh making stops and being hit by cars oh my god yeah yeah it was a whole thing and then, yeah. like, they found it was like all pre every month like, like two, you knew like every month happened, that happened two happened in, in two happened within like three days or i think yeah. i think three happened within was four it, days at was some it point different uh perpetrators or was it the it was, same it was different sometimes it was a drunk driver driving the wrong way sometimes it was a guy on drugs sometimes it was a semi driver who had his who had his tires pop or wasn't paying attention it, it none of it was like intentional it was just so in illinois there's a, a wild a, a law scott called scott's law where um if you if the trooper if, a, if an officer or like uh, an IDOT worker or someone just someone associated with the state who's on the doing road work um, is pulled over on the side and their lights are flashing. Even if their lights aren't flashing, you either have to slow, you, you have to move over. And if you cannot move over, you have to slow down substantially. Um, and people were violating that left and right. Like if you get caught not doing those things, it's like a $500 fine in like a mandatory court appearance. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, how I didn't it, do that. How is it in the city these days? We hear uh, here awful in, in LA <laughs> we hear horror so stories bad. about the weekends in Chicago. It doesn't sound like it's getting any better. Oh so bad. Yeah. yeah um it, it well it's just not televised time. anymore because yeah. it's gotten well, to the point that's so bad that people have stopped caring. Like it's it was, another day for us. It was while I was on internship in 2019 that the Cook County State's attorney announced that they weren't going to prosecute shoplifting. So we've had an interesting thing too. Uh, they they've made the. Uh, 
shoplifting I, thing. I think it's a misdemeanor. It's not a felony anymore. Yeah, I, I know. And can't you like you can like legally rob or like you can rob a place and they won't do anything. I thought, yeah. yeah. It's like nine hundred ninety nine dollars. It's an insult to the cops and the prosecutors. They go about the idea of prosecuting these people, then they let them go. We're I good. know there's the the attempted recall on Gascon, right? Yeah, I think he's gone. I think there's so well, many. They just got rid of um, Chessy, whatever the hell his name is, in uh, San Francisco. San Francisco, right? Yeah, they just got I, rid of him. I don't know what it's like there, but there there's this kind of fringe of. Uh, of people i don't want to get into politics but the idea of defunding the police is so ridiculous it's like from oingo boingo land mm -hmm. i mean you can see what it, they literally did it in minneapolis and seattle and it went straight to shit yeah it yeah. went bad for oh, exactly. exactly yeah well um, on that happy note <laughs> yeah on yeah. that happy note um Steve, would you like to plug anything? It's been a pleasure having you on. So oh, well, thank you. It's yours. been fun with you guys. I'd love to come again when we have something new to talk about and we yeah. can use the word so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we're on well now. I'm going to use on, yes, well, well forever. Good Lord. <laughs> well, um, I have my podcast, uh, Steve Rubens. That's R-U-B-I-N, Saturday Night at the Movies. We're on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. Um, <clears throat> I do a classic movie review every Saturday on Facebook, also on Steve Rubin's Saturday Night at the Movies. Uh, I have uh, a James Bond movie encyclopedia page on Facebook. I have a Twilight Zone encyclopedia page. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Uh, and just out there every day trying to sell shows and working on some new projects. Um, you will hear about them because I'll come back and tell you about them. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Be well. Stay safe out there. Thanks oh, yeah. Too. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. And a special thank you to our special guest for coming on the show. If you liked the episode, come tell us your thoughts and join the conversation over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also share the episodes and give us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, it would be great if you helped us out by becoming a patron. On Patreon, you get unedited video versions of most of our episodes, and you get some extra bonus content, such as the Taskmaster live streams that are no longer available for free out there in the universe. You have to get them on our Patreon. Also, we have our Goes to the Movies podcast, where Jeff watches movies for the very first time because Jeff doesn't enjoy friendship and refuses to watch movies all the time. So yeah, that'd be great. Also, you can find us on themisfitfaction.com. We are a part of that network now, and we are enjoying every second of it. All right, that's it for this week. Join us again next time, wherever you hate to see it. <laughs>